Hi, this is Richard Watts, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Smart Arts, a weekly radio show bringing news, reviews and interviews about the arts. Broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Thursday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and if you have any questions or feedback, feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website. The other half of the Art Attack team joins us now on the line. Ty Snaith normally reviews with Ace Wagstaff, but because of the challenges of getting two people on the phone at once, we're playing around with things and also adapting to, uh, and very happily adapting to Ty's suggestion that one of the things we could talk about during lockdown is creative educational art ideas for kids, Ty, which I think is a fantastic idea and I'm glad we've been able to kind of continue this over the last couple of weeks. Yeah, thanks, Richard. I, I mean, I think it's practical at the moment, isn't it? Because everyone's at home trying to, not everyone, but a lot of us are at home trying to school our kids, but also trying to find little things for them to do in between that um, that keeps their brain creative and, you know, healthy. So, actually, I should preface this by saying these things I'm going to talk about today are not necessarily just for kids. So if you're at home in a share house or you've got like just your partner at home or just you on your own, these are things you can do as an adult as well. And I tend to think that creativity goes across the board, you know. So one thing I've been thinking about a lot and with my kids it's come up quite often is we get up in the morning and all of us have been having really intense dreams and I don't know whether you've noticed that, Richard. Have you been having intense dreams? I have. They're certainly uh, kind of much more vivid and much more memorable. And I presume it's a side effect of, A, a lack of stimulation during the day and at night, and my brain is just trying to keep me entertained. Uh, and it's also perhaps a response to stress as well, I'm not sure. but Yeah, yeah well, I, I think you're spot on there because, well, I woke up this morning and read this article that was written by uh, a science researcher, and I can't remember where it was, so sorry about that. But um, it's basically we're saying exactly that. So a lot of scientists are finding and doctors are finding and people are finding that we are having more intense dreams during this period because our subconscious is looking for material and in some cases it's it's digging up, delving old memories up because we are, we have a lack of stimulus and a lack of sort of face-to-face or, for example, live theatre or live art. Um, so it's trying to find other ways to, you know, create create that that dramatic landscape in our brains. But also, as you said, we're dealing with anxiety, and kids are also dealing with anxiety. And so it's something to be aware of that often kids don't talk about how they're feeling anxious, or it's a change in routine, and sometimes that does come out in our unconscious. So you might notice your kids are having different types of explosions or breakdowns, or maybe they're just really calm. People express their anxiety in different ways. And one of them is dreams. And so I thought I'd talk about that. Um, One thing that we've been doing that's really useful for adults and kids alike is just to get up and write your dream down. And I think the act of actually articulating what those weird things were that happened um, is a good is a good thing, you know. It's a good thing for all of us just to, to sort of look into our own brains and go, what was that? Why was there a giant cat wearing a mask? What was that about? And then it's a really good start. If you're trying to do creative writing tasks with your kids, um, that's a good way to start. You could pick out something from the dream and go with that, or you could draw it. Um, it's a really good, rich fodder for creative sort of, you know, riffing off. So we've been doing that a bit, writing our dreams down. Then 
The other thing that you could do that I've been doing a little bit is haiku. And I know this isn't technically craft or art, but haikus are like craft with words, if you ask me. So for those of you out there who don't know what a haiku is, it's a really old, old form of basic poetry and originally Japanese. And it starts with one line, which is five syllables. The next line is seven syllables. And the next one is five. So it goes five, seven, five. And usually, traditionally, it's about nature. But you could also write a haiku about your dream. That's one thing. I've been writing just haikus on Instagram, which I find quite good for an image. You know, it's a good way to distill things down. And I know last week, Kat talked about limiting the palette for kids, which is a really, really good tip. So when kids are overwhelmed with too much stuff to choose from, it doesn't usually end up well. If you limit their palette, so if you give them a rule um, or even just three colours or a set task that they can be free within, it usually turns out better. So limiting the palette, tick. The other one, the unconscious, uh, is that it is related really directly to play as well. And one of the, my most favourite things to do in the world with my kids, with my friends, um, and I'm actually doing a call out to the public at the moment through my Instagram page for squiggles. So you might have watched Mr. Squiggle when you were a kid. Did you watch, watch Mr. Squiggle, Richard? Absolutely. Uh, I, can, <laughs> I can already, can I, as soon as you ask, I can hear a voice in my head going, hurry up, hurry up. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Blackboard was a pretty good character, wasn't he? He was. But Mr. Mr. Squiggle, we all sort of have some idea of what it means, but it, it comes from a really basic drawing game that does play a lot with the unconscious. So... Those first ideas that come into your head when you see a shape or you even feel a texture or you see a colour, those are tied to deep in your understanding, your unconscious understanding or your gut instinct. And so a game you can play is one person just does a few squiggles. You might do a dash, a dot, a line, whatever, you know, a squiggle. And then you pass it over to the other person and without thinking too much, they have to turn it into something. And it's also a bit like that kind of that Freud that did the word game where you have to say a word and then what does that make you think straight away? It's a bit like that, but with shapes and pictures. And Mr. Squiggle is one of those great warm-up games if you're trying to get through a mental block, you're just trying to pass the time, you're trying to free up your sort of brain and get down to what it is that you, you know, what, what you know, what you know pictorially. And that's my one for today, Richard, Mr. Squiggle. And I you love- can also... I yeah, love that idea. So. Just the, and even if you live alone, you could do it. You could, uh, yeah. uh, this afternoon, sit down and just make a sh- kind of like, I don't know, get 10 pieces of paper, doodle uh, 10 squiggles, then put them away and pick, come back to them tomorrow uh, and, yeah. and day by day and, eat, and then see what your brain has come Work up with them. and how you yeah. respond to it over a couple of days. And, uh, yeah, or you can do it via just with a friend online. So someone can do a squiggle, take a photo of it send it to you, you print it out, and then you can turn it into... And that can go on for hours, and it's a really simple game. You can make it more complex. You can add colour. You can add a title to it if you're working with kids. It can then be the basis for a story, so you could base a character on it. I know when I was teaching a bit in interior design, we had a task where they had to do Mr Squiggle and then choose their favourite completed squiggle and then base the whole concept of a room on it. So you can actually use these squiggles as a starting point for lots and lots of things, like writing activities, tasks, storytelling. Yeah, even you could even base a meal on it. I don't know. That's a bit complex. <laughs> you could try. <laughs> I'd be fascinated to see where that ended up and particularly what it looked like on the plate. Yeah, exactly. So that, they're my two for today, or three. You know, write down your dreams, talk about your dreams together, 
really like use them as a way to maybe talk about anxiety, which is a good thing to get kids to start to open up to in a in a playful way. Um, maybe try a haiku, easy one. Um, and the other thing I was going to say is with Mr Squiggle, what's great about it is that it doesn't it's not too um, you know, stressful in terms of getting it looking exactly like the thing you're trying to draw. And one thing to remember with kids is really let them make mistakes. It's really important to make mistakes, you know, and to go with the mistakes. So it's a bit like make do, you know, you can find this thing and go, oh, that could be a whatever. And and the same with the squiggles. You can say that could be an ear, that could be an eye. Oh, that's something, they've dropped some food on the ground there. And it's really good for that, just... Um, you know, dealing with accidents and including them in your uh, creative story. And so. also good for adults to remind us that yeah. if you are, particularly if you don't have uh, a, a visual art practice already, if you're using art and drawing techniques and squiggles, as you've just talked about, Ty, as a way to reduce stress and entertain and occupy yourself and be creative during lockdown and isolation, no one's expecting you and you shouldn't be expecting yourself that you are instantly going to be a great artist. Don't beat yourself up because you tried. <laughs> to draw something and the end result isn't what you wanted. The journey, no. it's all about getting there rather than the, the exactly. outcome at the moment. Yeah, it's about the story. And I think sometimes squiggles are funniest when you sort of talk to them at the same time. And, um, you know, it's, it's about humour and play and, yeah, getting things wrong as part of life what we're all dealing with at the moment, isn't it? Adapting to a different way of non-perfection, really. That sounds like a, a slogan for a T-shirt in a couple of months' time when we can all go out and about again. Tyson, yeah, adapting. Oh, and, and if anyone wants to send me a squiggle, you can do that if you like via my Instagram. So I've got a kid's account called Tyson's Books, and if you want to, you can post a squiggle to me via that and I will do it and repost it. So that's... Make it public. At Tysnaith underscore books is Ty's Instagram account. Uh, for we'll get your kids to do a squiggle and send it in. Jump online and send it to her on Instagram and you'll see where it ends up. Ty, thank you for joining us. <laughs> My pleasure. We'll catch you in a fortnight's time when you'll be doing a visual art review and Ace will Yay. be chatting about some educational games and play techniques. Looking forward to that. Can't wait. All right. All see you, Bye. Bye. Independently yours, Triple R. 102.7. As we all know, we're living in lockdown, in isolation. Galleries are closed, theatres are closed, and accessing art was initially, at least we thought, going to be a problem for months on end. But lots of organisations have been going, right, how can we present our work online in an accessible way? Uh, many organisations are doing this. One of them is the Koori Heritage Trust that has a, a major exhibition opening next week called Affirmation. Uh, it's uh, an exploration of truth-telling through a First Nation lens. Joining me on the line is one of the participating artists, the uh, Wathorong uh, photographer, Deanne Gilson. Deanne, welcome to Triple R. Hi, Richard. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Tell us a, a little bit about your photographic practice. What was it? What is it about photography as a medium that initially drew you to it as an art form that you wanted to focus on? Oh, fantastic. Well, I, I think um, just first, I just have to give a shout out to all First Nations people um, at this time and all the elders um, and listening in, um, if you don't mind, just to acknowledge all of mob out there. Um, but basically, what I like about photography is the fact that when you take a photo, um, it, it's real. It's real time. 
what's really going on in that moment, the lived experience, and it just captures the emotion um, of that moment, yeah. Now, for uh, you, the, I guess the, the, your photographic practice as an artist, uh, you've focused on and developed ways of exploring and reflecting the colonial gaze. So uh, people may be familiar with, I don't know, uh, depictions of First Nations Australians, uh, Koori people here in Victoria uh, that were... Uh, photographs from the late 1800s, early 1900s, or paintings and so forth. So that's a depiction of First Nations life. How are you reflecting that and taking control of those images and those narratives through your work? Oh, great. Um, so what I basically do is... Uh, I, my whole practice is multimedia. So uh, paint, draw, sculpt. Um, installation, but what I've found with the photographic works is um, the digital platform such a wonderful medium. I actually take all the aspects of my arts practice. Um, for example, I recently created a, an installation of a stone circle, and I photograph those items. Like one of the pictures in this show, I've photographed Captain Cook from um, the Fitzroy Gardens or the Carlton Gardens, I think it is. There. Um, sorry, I'm based in Ballarat, so excuse me. <laughs> um, but I, I photographed that fabulous statue of Cook um, and um, the stone face version, and um, and I've overlaid that with my own imagery of family, um, of drawings, uh, and all sorts of things, and created that collage effect. And um, I just found it just gives the work um, lots of multi layers and. Uh, Things like um, family photos, for example, there's a photographic piece in the show of Queen Mary, one of our Wadawurrung ancestors, and uh, Mary um, uh, was photographed uh, in a colonial setting. She was actually um, in Corrindirk. There were houses and fences, which I, I call boundaries, uh, situated behind Mary, and in um, her clothing, they had actually put a possum on Mary and given her boomerangs and artefacts and uh, woven baskets and um, made her to look, you know, quite savage and um, everything and she's standing there and in actual fact she's taken off her country um, and she's been displaced and oppressed and in that actual photo in her eyes she's actually quite unwell and um, her eyes are, are quite sick and infected and... Um, so what I've done with Mary is, if Mary could talk today, what would Mary say? I'm sure she'd have a lot to say. Um, so I've basically taken her photo and in the basket I've put Anong, the yam daisy, in the basket and I've put some crows on her body and her shoulders and the crow is one of our totem animals um, and we call him Wab. And so what I've done is I've um, kind of recaptured the picture and then uh, she's reflecting back that, you know, I'm actually an Aboriginal woman. The Murnong is from my country. It actually took that from me. So I'm taking it back and I'm watched over by my ancestral totem. Um, yeah, so she becomes, she finally has a voice and, and then you can actually see what really going on with Mary 
it's not a happy photo. It's, you know, a photo that is just um, there to be looked at and, um, yeah, so, yeah. I, I love the fact that you've taken this kind of... Uh, when the photograph was taken, the, the, the white fellows who took the photo w- were constructing their own image of kind of how they wanted to represent uh, yes. a, a proud Aboriginal woman. Uh, and you've not only reclaimed kind of Mary's story, but you've kind of laid a, a reality over their fake reality. Yes, yeah, and, and that's what Affirmation, uh, the exhibition is about. It's about that, that you know, the telling of the truth. Our truth completely different and, and how we react and, um, you know, and, and, and uh, I mean, we're, we're her ancestors, so we're still here. So, you know, how we met to respond to those images when we them out there, um, you know, it's quite upsetting. And, and uh, there are so many non-Indigenous artists that take this imagery and use it within their own artworks. And, and I, um, you know, recently in Ballarat, was an image of Mary um, pasted up on a brick wall near our on our art gallery wall, and I was quite offended by that uh, when I walked past there because, you know, her pain is my pain. You know, my family are connected, and uh, we've all had the same um, the, the breakdown of the culture and the loss and the abuse and the, you know, and all of that, and um, so. I see people use our images in that way. I'm quite shocked because it's like me um, kind of saying, hey, I don't know you, but can I have your um, grandmother's photo so I can plaster her all over? <laughs> do you know what I mean? And and you would go, why would you want to do that? You don't know me. Um, so um, it's just taking back some of our control over some of the imagery and the stories. Um, yeah. If you've just tuned in, I'm speaking with artist Deanne Gilson about the exhibition Affirmation, which is opening next Wednesday, the 29th of April, presented by Koori Heritage Trust and Photo 2020. Uh, Obviously, you can't go into the Koori Heritage Trust um, at Federation Square to see the exhibition, but the works will be online. Deanne, in terms of the curatorial brief for Affirmation, what kind of conversations did you have with uh, curators about what they wanted this exhibition to achieve? Yeah, well, um, uh, with Gail Haradine, uh, the curator, um, we were basically... You know, it is really about that truth telling and, and what are your stories. And um, and I've done quite a lot of photographic stuff with the Murnong Daisy, the Yam Daisy. For people that don't know what the Murnong is, the Murnong Daisy is a yellow daisy with um, little tubers. And um, it was the main food source uh, in Ballarat. Um, for my ancestors, in, and in actual fact, um, it was one of the main foods that we ate as opposed to going out and killing kangaroos and all sorts of other things, which we did do. But um, when the sheep and cattle were introduced in, uh, first into Bendigo, then filtered down to Ballarat, um, all of, you know, Jar Jar and um, our country here, um, all of our food was gone and, and we couldn't feed our children. So... So for me, that, that that was kind of like the, the first big loss for us um, because if you take out the food source, then the people start dying. And um, so, um, yeah. 
Now, uh, in terms of the other artists in the exhibition, what can you tell us about the other artists represented in Affirmation? Oh, fantastic. Well, um, beautiful Paola Bella. Um, she's a Wemba Wemba Gundijamara woman. Uh, we also have links with Gundijamara tribe with Annie Bronwyn Razzam. Um, so Paola's work, she's just done a PhD. Um, her um, amazing photographic depictions of um, her ancestral stories and mythological stories of um, Mok Mok um, and um, their spiritual they're connected um, and, and they're, they're, they've got a lot of irony in the work too. Um, so uh, the other two artists, actually, Piera Van Sparks and Tashara Roberts, I actually haven't met the girls, um, so I don't know a lot about their work, but what I have seen, um, oh, gosh, they're, they're highly um, sort of layered works. Um, yeah, so they're quite interesting. Um, I think I'm probably not best to comment because <laughs> I don't know, but, but they are, they're all such strong women and, um, you know, they're just trying to, um, they're just getting their voice out there and creating their art. And, and I think with all of us, the one factor is it's all healing. It's all part of our journey, part of unpacking our past our mother's past, our grandmothers, our grandfathers and so on. Um, for me, it's my matriarchal line um, and, um, you know, and it's a, a really strong line and just trying to make sense of why, why, I'm, he why I'm still here because, you know, we were, we were meant to be bred out um, and we almost were on our country. Um, so trying to unpack um, a lot of those, those things in my own practice, yeah. The exhibition is Affirmation, presented by Curry Heritage Trust and Photo 2020. Uh, it's opening online from Wednesday the 29th of April, so jump online from next Wednesday, curryheritagetrust.com.au to see the kind of digital representation of the exhibition. It's a great shame, Deanne, that you won't have the opportunity to celebrate at an opening night with the other artists <laughs> and with friends and family and with mob, but I'm sure, uh, given the, the current health restrictions, kind of celebrating online is uh, it's the, the best we can do at the moment. Oh, absolutely. We've got to stay safe and um, especially, you know, for a lot of Indigenous peoples and, and underlying health conditions and it, we've got to keep our elders here, you know, the, all that knowledge important people, we need them and we need them all to stay safe and um, yeah, so no, well, we will be missing the opening but um, it's I have to say a big thanks um, to Tom Osby and the British Trust are actually going ahead because you know, it's a brave move to hang a show. A lot of background work's gone on for six months and, and um, before that, just planning and, um, you know, just happen and nobody's actually going to walk in the door. So, um, you know, it's a bit of an honour to be part of that experience and, and just recognise and respect it, just, you know, just for making work about your culture and your family. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> I've been chatting with artist Deanne Gilson. Deanne, it's been a pleasure speaking to you. And as I said, Affirmation presented by the Curry Heritage Trust from next Wednesday, the 29th of April, April, curryheritagetrust.com.au. Deanne, enjoy the rest of your day. Yeah, you too. Thank you, Richard. Bye-bye. Triple R on FM, digital, online and via the app. Thanks so much for being here. It means a lot.
As I mentioned at the start of the show, normally at this time of year, I would have seen about 40, maybe 50 shows at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival. There would have been comedians on the show every week on this program and many others. I'm missing comedy a little bit. So uh, I thought somebody who could tell us how you can get a comedy fix during isolation would be a good guest to have on the show today. Janet McLeod has been described as the fairy godmother of Melbourne comedy. Uh, she is certainly a comedy doyenne, has been running local laughs for many, many years on Monday nights, and she joins us on the line now. Janet, a very good morning to you. Oh, and very good morning to you, Richard. I, you know, I'm coming alive from a street in St Kilda. I've just had my flu shot. <laughs> well, I'm uh, I'm glad that you've had that shot and that you're kind of, you're actually getting some fresh air. It's a somewhat an unusual thing for us all at the moment. I think. <laughs> in six weeks, I have literally only ventured past my front gate six times. So that's it. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm taking this isolating uh, seriously. You are doing your bit to help keep the broader community safe. So golf claps, yay. So, sure, hey. Now, one of the things that you're also doing, as I said, you run local laughs uh, on Monday nights, have done for many, many years. It's a, a great comedy night. But you've pivoted to presenting online. What's that been like? Because part of the joy of comedy is being in a room together and sharing laughter with a, a group audience and the, the comedian and feeding off that. Absolutely. Well, it has been quite good. We've been doing it via Zoom, so the performers can see uh, people, and at varying times I will unmute the audience so that they can clap and cheer at the end of a spot. You can't have them on all the time because it's just too noisy. But there's there's something uh, quite, quite joyous in seeing all these faces on screen at the same time. So there's, there's, there's some... It's a, it's a different filter through which you experience being with people, but uh, it's, it's still got a feeling of community. Which is, I think, something that we all need at the moment, particularly people who, like myself, might be living alone, for example, or isolated from their families. Kind of that sense of community is very, very important. How did the comedians who you kind of program uh, for Local Laughs, what was their response when you said you wanted to try and present comedy online rather than in the usual live venue experience? Well, uh, immediately any stand-up was trepidatious because uh, stand-up, as, as the the art form in, within the broader context of comedy is probably the one most dependent on uh, audience feedback, like immediate audience feedback. So uh, sketch comedy and musical comedy and uh, other forms like that, probably are more robust within this format and this, this platform. Uh, so with... For example, uh, Ivan Oristegeta, everybody's favourite Venezuelan comedian, he uh, I, he didn't want to do stand-up. And I said, why don't you do a cooking segment? And as soon as I said that, he went, yep. <laughs> so that's exactly what he did, because he's very funny and, and he's a really good cook. <laughs> so so he presented a cooking segment and it was, it was just gorgeous. It was adorable. It made us want to um, immediately go... If he had been hooked into Uber Eats, he would have had 80 people ordering his, uh, his amazing kimchi and cheese toasted sandwich. That sounds rather nice. <laughs> it was great. So, yeah, so people who have a different... Like, performers who have got additional skills, so they can do characters and... They, they're, they're quite good at visuals, like Patrick Collins, who you might be familiar with, who did a show last year called Mime Consultant. 
uh, he was doing sketches to to music and pre-recorded audio and had changed his virtual background to, to as a setting for the the sketch, which is something that you can't do live unless you've got a set. So he's an example of using the just using using what you can uh, to to re-describe, I suppose, his comedy. Now, given that some of these comedians, as you're saying, are adapting, they're using the opportunity to experiment, to play, to uh, replace props with screens and so forth, how are the stand-ups kind of reacting and responding, particularly uh, uh, given that that live, that immediate, as you said, that immediate live response of laughter from the audience is something that they can't get even on Zoom if the audience are muted for three-quarters of the set? Yeah, yeah, it really isn't one for uh, new cops, I suppose. It's uh, the experienced people who know where the the laughs will will normally be are the ones who are able to uh, to do to perform it best. It's a, it is tricky, but if you can see the people's faces, then that helps. So I always advise that the performers put. Uh, put it onto gallery view so they they can see as many faces as possible. Now, that makes sense. They can at least see people laughing even if they can't hear them. Although although one of the things, of course, with... uh, You know in comedy rooms where people go, oh, I don't want to sit at the front. Oh, no, I don't want to sit at the front. You kind of get that in Zoom where they turn off their video. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, so our first show, I was going, oh, hello, we've got industry in tonight. So there was just, you know, very arts industry people who'd popped along and they all had their videos off. And I went, oh, typical arts industry up the back of the room. (laughs) It made me laugh. So, Janet, if people want to kind of experience local laughs, which is normally the local tap house in St Kilda, but uh, yeah. on Monday nights. So if people want to experience this, because you've not only, you've not only, quote, pivoted to video, unquote, mm. but this is also a way to try to monetise Zoom performance, stream performance for audiences. Tell us how Absolutely. that's been working. Well, I sell the tickets via my, in exactly the same way as I always have, via Try Booking. So there you go. Just look up Try Booking, local laugh. You will find us. Because one of the important things I wanted to do was to, I suppose, to instill uh, confidence in other performers. Because I'd already started doing my uh, my my pub trivia nights via Zoom, and uh, my so my motivations were paying other people so that they would, you know, know that there's avenues for them to make money still, and. Uh, yeah, and, and giving the audience this experience that they 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 really long for again. So, if you want to get to, to book to experience local laughs online, uh, as uh, Janet said, just Google uh, "try booking local laughs." Uh, the show's coming up on April the twenty seventh. Cal Wilson is performing, for example. Uh, Beck Hill as well, uh, and a few others. Ben uh, Russell, Kirsty Wiebeck, Angela Voipierre, Dave Callan apparently is jumping in uh, <laughs> to be confirmed. Uh, the following week, I've got Jude Pearl, Patrick Collins, Gary Starr, James Nikise. So I've We've got uh, people zooming in from London, from New Zealand. This is the other thing, Richard. I get to I get to put on my favourite international performers. 
So I, I guess all they have to do is factor the time difference in, and uh, and they're f- yes. they can be in the room. Yeah. Well, it works. It works for London because it's eleven thirty a.m. for the uh, for for the United. Not so much. It's a little bit early in the morning for them. Uh, so yeah. So Facebook a lot laughs. You can find all the uh, the links to how to buy tickets there. So it's a great way to uh, for you, the audience member, to experience live comedy in a fashion because I don't record it. It's, you can't you can't see it again, and it's also a great way to support comedians. Absolutely. Who, We'll make money. Uh, so people, as we said, they go to try booking, uh, Google try booking local laughs. You buy a ticket online. How much does a ticket cost? Well, uh, $10. So I am also doing, uh, if you belong to our email list, then I am also doing occasional specials where you get a discount if, you, if there's a flash sale. So uh, there's going to be one tomorrow, actually. Great. So if you... Uh, sign up to our email list. Just go to the Facebook page. Then you can get on that. Uh, you can get on that gravy train. Otherwise, tickets ten bucks when you book. Then uh, Janet will email you a link and a password to a Zoom meeting uh, sometime on Monday afternoon. You log yeah. in just before the show at about seven twenty. Settle down with a drink and it eight, kicks eight twenty. Sorry, eight twenty. <laughs> I'm sorry, eight twenty, <laughs> and it kicks off at eight thirty. That's it. Yeah, all nice and easy. So that's local laughs online. Uh, Janet, just before I let you go, are other comedians doing similar kind of online presentation and streaming? Uh, I know there's a lot of UK ones who are. Uh, there's You can see varying shows on, uh, on well, besides Facebook Live, Twitch. A lot of those are pay-what-you-want shows. So, but I wanted to. I wanted to have ticketing, <laughs> so I knew how much I could pay the comedians. Fair enough, too. And I know that uh, Kings of Comedy are running their second night of live stand-up from their CBD venue coming up as well. Saturday, the second of May, they're doing a live internet show, uh, which kicks off at seven pm. If you jump online, www.koc.lol. So kingsofcomedy.lol, koc.lol for more information about their show as well. So it, it's really been intriguing to see. I mean, Josh Earl, for example, I know is getting encouraging people to buy tickets to the live uh, podcast sessions that he's doing, for yeah. example. So, again, people are, they may not be able to perform to an audience in the usual fashion, but people are certainly adapting and responding and, and thinking quickly on their feet to make sure that they can entertain people and they can try and make a bit of a buck at the same time, which is great. Absolutely. Adapt, evolve, survive. That's what my mantra has become. Now, uh, you mentioned Jude Pearl's going to be performing uh, at Local Last on the 4th of May. She's also going to be a guest on the show coming up today at 11.30 as part of our DIY Arts Guide. She'll be chatting about uh, some tips to if you've ever thought about writing comedy and writing musical comedy. So she'll be on the show. And then this, coming up this Monday, the 27th, uh, Cal Wilson, uh, Kirsty Webeck, uh, Beck Hill, and Lovapuea, and more performing as part of Local Laughs Online. Book through trybooking.com. I've been chatting with comedy doyenne Janet McLeod. Janet, thanks for joining us on the show. Well, thanks for having me, Richard. Thank you, everybody. And uh, thank you for keeping the last coming during this, what is admittedly a somewhat stressful and unsettling time for everyone. Enjoy the rest of your day, Janet. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Triple R's Smart Arts, a weekly radio show bringing news, reviews and interviews about the art, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Thursday. 
Hope you enjoy the podcast. And if you have any questions or feedback, feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website. 